Well, this morning we're continuing in our sermon series looking at the Gospel of John, uh, John 15, 1 through 17. And um, this is a very beautiful passage where Jesus is actually teaching us what it looks like to abide in him. And so let's open up our, you can open up your worship guides. We're looking at John 15, verses 1 through 17. Um, If you have your Bibles or you can look at the wall behind me. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that, that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. Be with us now as we consider your word. May your spirit be working and shaping our hearts so that we would become more like you. May our sin be convicted. May our troubled hearts be comforted. And may you minister to us in your love. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So New Year's resolutions, they're a trendy thing, especially this time of the year since it is a new year. But this idea of New Year resolutions gets a lot of criticisms. And it can be very legitimate because the notion of a, of a new year brings this idea of new year, new me. And there's, there's this understanding that we, we actually all need to grow. And so as we consi- when you come to this time of year where you consider this newness of it, there's this question in your heart that, is, that you are asking. And the question is, are you the best version of yourself? Are you being the type of person whom you really want to be? And so you may say, hey, I want to I lose some weight. I want to eat better. I want to read my Bible more. I want to uh, actually practice rest and more. But how many people are still at the gym 30 days later? 
Because what happens is we'll try fads, we'll try diets, we'll seek out life coaches and much more. And that there, as we go through all those things, there's a degree of truth in, in all those things. Because yes, that knowledge, that knowledge can be quite powerful. But however, information, information does not transform you. That we do need guides and teachers, but we can be misled. That habits are important, but let's not fall into the trap of behavior modification. That's not how we grow. That you actually cannot grow simply through just a, se a series of new resolutions. And what Jesus is offering us here is a simple insight. That if we want to grow, if we want to change, if we actually, in his language, want to bear fruit and become more like him, the only way that we can actually be transformed is by abiding in him. The only way that we can grow is by abiding in him. To put it in, a, in more of our language, that the, your, the best version of yourself is found in Jesus Christ. The best version of yourself is found in Jesus Christ. And so let's think about what it looks like for us to abide. And like the, there's a few points. And our first point is that we are made for communion. We are made for communion with God. We see this here in verses 1, verses 4. This is a clear teaching of Jesus' words here. But it's also the clear teaching of the entirety of Scripture that you and I, we are made, we are designed for communion with God, that we are meant to have life with God, to love him, to serve him, and to enjoy him all of life. That is the goal of our human existence. Life with God is the goal of our human existence. And so Jesus is actually elaborating or teaching on this point using a very well-known Jewish metaphor. It's this idea of being a vine, of being a branch. And like the, the disciples would certainly know what Jesus was getting at. They're Jews after all. But even just to prove, in a sense, that the entire Jewish community would know what Jesus was saying, just 40 years later, after this moment, there's the Jewish revolt against the Romans. And so the Jews rejected Roman currency, made their own. And instead of imprinting, like, um, the head of their leader onto their coins, what did they put on it? They put the vine on their coins, that throughout the Old Testament, we, we, you read and you learn so much about this image of the vine. Like, for example, here's Hosea, that, that Israel is a luxuriant vine. Jeremiah says that Israel is a choice vine. And the Psalms point out that the vine was brought from Egypt and planted in the mountains of Israel. That Ezekiel says that there's a vine in a vineyard that's fruitful and full of branches. And so when you think about this, that God's people are, are being closely in, associated with this vine. So much that Israel is being called the vine. And this actually helps us explain Jesus' words of judgment here. That we read that here is the father, the vine dresser, coming and, planting, and cutting off branches that are not bearing fruit and tosses them into the fire. What we see going on in Jesus' day with Israel is that there is actually this rejection of God. There is this rejection of Jesus. And Jesus is saying that I am the vine and that you are the branches. That we are made for communion with God. And see that God created us, to the language of Genesis, God created us in his image. He made us in his likeness so that we would have life with him, 
that we would reflect his character and that we would rule over all creation. But the tragedy of our lives and sin is that we rebel against him. We rebel against his entire design. We forget, we neglect, we ignore, we rebel against the simple truth that we are made for life with God. And that we, in doing so, neglect, rebel against the fundamental truth about who we are. That we are meant to abide in God. We are rebelling against that in our daily lives. And so as you think about this word here, this word abide, the Greek word for abide is also the, the same word that means for remain, for reside, for dwell. And so as we reside in Jesus, what happens is that we have a common life. As we abide, as we, the branches, abide in the vine, we bear the fruit of the vine. That we have a common life. That when you look at the branch, you should be, should be able to see that you are associated with the life of Christ. And so sadly, this could actually be misunderstood as a passivity or being withdrawn. But that's actually very, that's contradictory to what Jesus is saying. Because there is fruitfulness that comes with abiding. That we don't just withdraw to be with Jesus. We, don't, we aren't just passive and, 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 and assuming that God is going to do his work. No, there's fruitfulness that's being at work within our lives. There's obedience that comes with the life of God. And so we, we, we really considered that last week. Because ch chapters 14 and 15 are closely tied together through this idea of abiding in, in God. So this, but as you think about this fruitfulness, for, for example, it is not the primary results of the disciples that actually goes against this metaphor. That fruitfulness is happens because we are connected to Jesus. So Leslie Newbegin, he captures the, the gracious indwelling of God with his people. is not an invitation to settle down and forget the rest of the world. No, this is a summons to mission. It is the life of Jesus himself reproduced in the lives of the disciples in the midst of the world. The, the fruit, the present evidence of the fruitfulness is the visible evidence that you are actually a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we are made to have life with God. We are made to abide with God. But what does it look like for you to abide with God? Well, Jesus gives us a few answers here. And so let's consider our second point, the art of abiding. Verses 7 and 8, that if you abide in me and I in you, and my words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so here, Jesus just simply briefly points out two parts of abiding in him. There's his words and the work of prayer. So let's first think about his word. Do Jesus' words abide in you? And simply put, this is about engaging with Scripture. The prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they use this very beautiful, colorful metaphor of eating the book. Eat this book is the command that God gives to them. And see, Scripture is the Word of God. That Scripture is, that the words of Christ are Scripture. And Jesus taught us in Matthew 4 that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That are you, are we engaging with Scripture? 
Now, sometimes people do not engage with Scripture because they feel like they don't get anything out of it. And while the, like, those are very legitimate seasons, sometimes you'll go through a season where you don't feel like you're getting anything out of your, your, your spiritual reading. But sometimes what I also, also find is that there's often a learning style at play there. And so there are many actual different forms of engaging Scripture. And I want to share some time just briefly sharing a few of them to help you and to encourage you as to think, that, hey, there are different ways of engaging Scripture so that you can actually abide in the words of God. And so here's a few. And some of the language may be new to you. Some of the language may um, actually be very common to you. But just to name a few, there's this simple, simple one that's called the quiet time. It's a beautiful mixture of, of Scripture. There's reflection, there's journaling, solitude and quiet, where simply put, you find a, a time in your day that's defined by quietness where you can be alone and have a personal worship time with God, read scripture and, be, and really be with God. That's the first, like quiet time. That's also, could there, that could be closely related to like where you're reading scripture and using like a devotional or having something like reading notes where you read the Bible, for example, you follow a plan, and you are engaging with Scripture that way. There's also a Bible study where you buy like a little booklet and say, hey, I want to learn about hospitality. And so you go through the verses of hospitality. Or you want to learn about the like 50 plus verses of one another in the New Testament. And you go through those for your reading. That's like Bible study. But there's also Scripture memory where you can say, I'm going to take one verse at a time or perhaps a whole chapter at a time, and you seek to memorize it. So a couple times each day, you just go over God's Word, and you say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's Scripture memory, and there's many beautiful tools that can help you do that. But then even with technology, there's another one where it's Bible listening. Just something to consider here, that what do you think happened for the first 1,500 years of the church after Christ's uh, death and resurrection till the invention of the printing press. The majority of Christians did not read scripture. The majority of Christians would listen to scripture. And so that's actually been really flipped in today's society. And so instead of reading the Bible, you can listen to the Bible, have it read to you. There's apps that, where you can even pick accents or different translations. It's, it's wonderful. And I can recommend several different tools, each one of these to you. But perhaps the most important part is just to pick one and begin to lean into it and, and enjoy, enjoy it. And the second part of, of abiding in Jesus that Jesus points out here is to pray. Ask. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask. So, so what does your prayer life look like? And so prayer, while a part of abiding, is a sign that you are abiding in Jesus. Prayer is simply talking to God. It's conversation with God. And what, if there's anything going on in your life, that is a legitimate, legitimate thing to talk to God about. Your emotions. God wants your emotions to be brought before him. Just look at the Psalms. There's all this, there's this great, rich, emotional depth to the Psalms. But even think about our own prayers that we have throughout our liturgy, the prayers of adoration. Do you worship God? Do you praise him? Do you adore him in your prayer life? Do you confess your sins? Do you own your, your brokenness? And do you humble yourself before God looking for him to guide you? Or even the prayers of the people, also known as intercessory prayers or prayers of petition, 
That's actually, I would say, most specifically what Jesus has in view here. Do you have needs in your life, cares in your life, that you want God to address and speak to? Like Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so Jesus taught the disciples actually something very similarly in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. On the, on the face of that one simple clause in the Lord's Prayer, that is actually meant to be a daily prayer of yours. Every single day, you are meant to be praying for the Lord to provide, not to, for us to coast and to assume that our wants and our needs are going to be met through, say, working hard or our paycheck. No, everything that we have comes from God. Are we seeking the Lord and praying for him to give us our daily bread? Because God is the one who's ultimately providing for us. And taking a step back here, looking at this entire passage, do you see the richness of what Jesus is describing for you? That there's this invitation to abide with God, but not only is there this invitation to abide with God, there's this invitation to have God be your provider here. That if we abide in him, ask whatever we wish and it will be done. And so thinking about the psalm, um, Psalm 32, and we sang a variation of it earlier, shepherd. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a really old, archaic English translation. It's funky. But the idea is that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in a state of need. I shall not, be, I shall not have any lack that the Lord is my shepherd and I have everything that I need. So as we're thinking about this art of abiding, or what does abiding look like? There's something else to really stress. And it's the importance of habits. And so as you think about the role of Jesus' words within your life, as you think about your own prayer life, what, what your own prayer life looks like, what do your habits look like? For example, 75% of people sleep next to their smartphone. And of those 75% of people, 90% of those people look at their phone first thing in the day. And so John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says, this is a surefire way for anger, not love, misery, not joy, anxiety, not peace. So it's no, perhaps it's no wonder that when 75% of people who sleep next to their, 75% of people sleep next to their smartphone, no wonder there are cultures being marked by such loneliness and anxiety today. Because what your habits can do, your habits can actually undermine everything you believe. It's easy for your head to go one way, and it's easy for your habits to go another way. And there's a gap, and your heart will actually be formed also by your habits. And so your habits are important as to whom you are becoming professionally, spiritually, relationally, and so much more. And so Tish Harrison Warren, whose article the ladies are reading this week on Wednesday, she wrote this in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. How I spend my ordinary day in Christ is how I'm going to spend my Christian life. So take stock, friends, of your ordinary day. Consider your ordinary habits and consider just perhaps how you may actually be sabotaging abiding in Christ in your own life. Take stock of your habits because they will shape you. And so be careful and reflective about them. 
But there, the last point to really draw home here is that, like, so as you consider that we are made to abide in Christ, as we, we've considered, like, what that perhaps, what that specifically looks like, but let's also consider the power, the draw, like, how can we do this? Where do we, can perhaps, where do we even get the desire to do this? The power of abiding or, or a what enables us is nothing less than a friendship of Jesus. And I personally find these verses to be among the most beautiful in the entire New Testament. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And see, the beautiful thing about Jesus and his mission is that and he, or his, and why he came is that Jesus came to befriend us. Jesus came to befriend you. He does not, he, well, he draws near to you in your neediness of him. And so that even the Pharisees, they would throw a, 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 an accusation at him, meant to condemn him, meant to discourage people from following him. They would say, he is the friend of sinners and tax collectors. And friends, if you know your sin, you say hooray to that. Because we are sinners and we are tax collectors. This, so that, that what's meant as an accusation is actually given to us as a deep, deep encouragement to, because we know our sinfulness. That sinners who know themselves to be sinners and sinful know themselves to be safe with Jesus. So Dane Ortland, he wrote this amazing book, Gentle and Lonely. He also wrote in another amazing book called Deeper. In his book Deeper, he says, Our felt shame is what draws Jesus in. Jesus wants to befriend you. The creator of the universe wants to befriend you. The one who, empty, who did not consider equality with God a thing to hold on to, but he set that aside so that he could befriend you, so that he could become your servant and be your friend. And he points this out, that you did not choose me, but I chose you. That Jesus is actually the one who pursues us. We do not pursue him. He is the one who seeks us out. We did not seek him out. We did not go looking for him. He came for us. He befriended us. And so actually think for a moment whom he's talking to. As he's talking to Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and Nathaniel and Philip and all of them, they all came to Jesus for various different reasons. Sometimes Jesus is simply walking by them. He says, hey, you, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And other times some of them came to ask him some questions and he gives them the invitation, come to me and follow me. But what Jesus is saying is that I chose you to be my friends. Jesus is the one who initiated our friendship with him. And his friendship with us is actually the power for our discipleship. Though his friendship for, for, with us is the power of abiding because without his friendship, friends, we cannot abide in him. Without his friendship, we cannot change. And so as we think about Jesus and our growth, Jesus is the source of, of our growth. But not only is he the source of our growth, he is the power of our growth. And it's vitally important to, to put something else in context here, is that when we engage with scripture, as we engage in our prayer life, these things do not earn God's love. There is nothing you can do to earn God's love. Here's also something else to know. There is nothing you can do to increase God's love for you. Just let that sink in. 
There's nothing more you can do to earn God's love or to, you cannot make God love you any more than he loves you right now. So we do these things of scripture and prayer, and there's many other forms of spiritual dis- and spiritual disciplines, but we do these things so that we can experience God's love in our daily lives. And that's the life that Jesus is inviting us to. That, friends, if you want to bear the fruit of Christ, we draw near to him. We seek to spend time with him because, friends, he loved us first that he gave his life for us. We did not choose him, but he chose us. That is the power of God's love for us, that the power of God's love is what changes our hearts and draws us deeper into a relationship and friendship with him because he has done everything necessary for us to have life with God. Let's pray.